Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your weekend sports car show. That's right, y'all. Graham Goodwin speaking to us from the United Kingdom. And Ooh. and yours truly, Marshall Pruitt from, uh, I don't know what, we're kind of united against you. We did that a long time ago, a couple hundred years yeah, ago, it Graham. Went but it all went wrong. Yeah, we celebrated President's Day on Monday, I think. You know, we all dressed up as favorite presidents i think i think we do that i don't know maybe i didn't but anyways hey we have some fun things graham goodwin to talk about uh we have the 24 hours of as many of my countrymen and women like to write it and pronounce it the 24 hours of le mans one word lowercase m face palm hey we have an entry list for le mans not the centenary anymore. What do we call it? No. The centenary plus, uh, I'm not sure, but uh, 100 plus one. And you in Ooh. the delightful, the, just the, the warm-hearted basking in glow of, of beautiful childness. That being dailysportscar.com, Stephen Kilby. Two of you, Graham, readying to travel to Qatar and... Play prologue. We almost have the FIA World Endurance Championship season ready to formally launch. But before we do that, we do a, a nice preseason test the week before the season opener at where the season opener is taking place. So those are the main things we have to talk about, my friend. But before we get there, let's pay some homage to the kind folks who make this podcast possible. Time to say a big thank you to our show partners on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, starting with FAF Technologies, build-to-print composites manufacturing company. They're specializing in medium-to-large-scale automotive, motorsports, and military applications. Visit faftechnologies.com. It's P-F-A-F-F technologies.com to learn more about their services and how they can benefit your business. Next, it's the Justice Brothers, makers of premium additives, lubricants, and cleaners and servicing the automotive and motorsports industries for more than 85 years, with victories in all the biggest North American motor races, including the Indianapolis 500, the 24 Hours of Daytona. The Justice Brothers products are truly race-proven. Learn about their vast history and range of offerings at justicebrothers.com. If you're fond of awesome motor racing collectibles, including FAF Motorsports McLaren gear and goodies, pay a visit to torontomotorsports.com. And finally, we have a new online merchandise home for the podcast, thepruittstore.com. All the show stickers, models, racing memorabilia I'm trying to sell and put towards our fun to buy a house is now live and rocking, thepruittstore.com. All right, Graham, this is officially what's known as a Flappy Gums episode. It uh, is. So no, no, no list of questions. We'll try and do that one next week, but... Boy, oh boy, oh boy, there's been a lot of news, uh, a lot of fun in the background, lots more to come before the, and I'm not kidding, the Qatar Airways 1812 of Qatar. That uh, that is, I believe, uh, close to, if not the actual name of the event we're about to embark upon to start the FI World Endurance Championship. Now, here's where I'm not kidding. I'm genuinely excited by this. We've got a fantastic grid. It's a very different season for the FI World Endurance Championship for the first time in its history. A, a two-class um, grid with hypercars and the brand-new LMGT3 class. So that's still to come. But I think the biggest news of the week, uh, MP, without a shadow of a doubt, is a quite extraordinary entry for the 2024, 24 hours of Le Mans with a record in this century, 23 top-class cars, 23 hypercars, and a hypercar on the reserve list, which is pretty extraordinary. So 23 cars, including four, I think I'm right, from the Ibsen WeatherTech Sports Car Championships GTP class, the second uh, Ganassi Cadillac. We already knew that Action Express's caddy was coming, but we've got one of the... Uh, the US-based uh, uh, Porsche Penske motorsport cars and the second Lamborghini 
SC-63. So those four to add to the uh, already impressive total from the FI World Endurance Championship with the second Proton Porsche, the first reserve. And, and that's that, that's one I want us to get into right off the bat, yeah. but also just from an overarching standpoint, 14 manufacturers in this wow. new uh, modified version of the 24 Hours of Le Mans, not the super extra heck a bunch of classes. But again, we get LMP2 back, uh, which yes. is great, but... Again, not an insane number of classes, uh, unless I missed it. I don't believe we have a innovative car slash no, garage fifty six. No, it's three. It's three classes. It is hypercar. It is LMP two with one more car than the minimum we were told to expect. Sixteen cars, not fifteen. Um, and then the the grid made up with the uh, LMGT three cars, principally a class, of course, made up of the WECs. 18 cars yeah but there are a further five and again there there are some some surprises and 62 some cars total as well for yes. uh, for lamar which is a nice big and beautiful number but before we start doing the breakdown and we do little happy dances about the <sighs> robust crazy size of the top hypercar class really making me think rain back to the 80s and the earliest stages of the 1990s when it was an all prototype race <laughs> yeah. um we're not there yet but boy yeah. we're, we're looking really strong but before we get to all that and all the cool manufacturers that you and i have seen in whether it's elms asian Le Mans series or here in the imsa weathertech sports car championship in the gt ranks using gt3 models we'll have them as the lone gt specification at Le Mans. Therefore, we're going to get some cool brands and or models we have not seen compete in the big 24-hour race at Circuit de la Sarthe. But why don't we start with the one that, to me, is a bit of a head-scratcher. So Ooh. how many Porsche 963s <laughs> is Proton Competition entering throughout this season's FI World Endurance Championship campaign? One. Okay. Um they sure seemed like a team that is very committed to Weckety Weck, not just in hypercar, but also in that LMGT3 as well. Yep. Uh, Mustang representage. Um, boy, if there was a team that seemed to be really playing at a high level and contributing a lot to the WEC that wanted to get an extra hypercar in the field, I would have thought Proton would have gotten that nod. They are the first alternate slash reserve so there's a chance but tell me about that because i think that stood out for him as the big question for most folks i think it's right they are one of two teams the other one being a f course we'll come to them shortly that actually on the Le Mans list have at least one car in every one of the three classes and that might be the key to the question there is an lmp2 proton car uh, listed in Orica, and there are there is a uh, auto entry Proton uh, Mustang, so a third Mustang over and above the two that Proton enter in the FI World Endurance Championship. Now, here's the question: There is a simple piece of what I know that uh, my American cousins incorrectly call math. Um, there is a that that, uh, that that does occur, which is if either of those car, those two cars are withdrawn, the extra Mustang or the Orica, guess what happens? We get another um, hypercar. We get the first car on the reserve list, and the first car on the reserve list is indeed the Proton Porsche. So I just wonder whether the the order of precedence here has been actively discussed with Christian Reed and his colleagues at Proton Competition. My guess is that it was. And my guess is that they've opted to take it in that direction. And that could indicate uh, whether or not there is a commercial case for their second hypercar. Uh, they may very well have a commercial case for an LMP2 car and a third Mustang, and that third Mustang may or may not attract some backing from the factory. So there's all sorts of things in the mix here. Uh, Stephen Kilby spoke to Christian uh, at the Asian Le Mans series in the UAE just a week or two ago. And he was telling him then what the plan was. The plan was that they're uh, expecting a third 963 to be delivered. 
Um, they wanted a second car at Le Mans. Uh, they were hoping that third car would be delivered to enable a second entry, but if not, um, then they were prepared to uh, to miss an IMSA round to bring what would have been their second car from the United States. So something's got on with Proton Competition. I would be very surprised indeed if they had not been, at least in the peripheral, part of the decision-making process on the order of precedence here. I don't see a mathematical reason whatsoever for uh, the ACO to have preferred to have a Proton uh, Orica over a Proton 963. That that simply doesn't occur to me that that's a decision that they would make. Uh, so that one is going to be one that I'm sure there'll be a non-orderly queue to ask Christian Reed what he thinks about that decision. Uh, but you're right, that is the blindingly obvious question that comes from that, um, uh, that list. Other than the other question being, in the case of the seventh reserve, and the final reserve on that list, so I think we can reasonably assume there were 69 cars that applied for uh, the, the uh, Le Mans 24 hours this year, stay sail racing with Michael Dynan. Now, doesn't take a genius I'm not a genius, and I use Google. That's the name of his family farm. That has all the look of a last-minute attempt to get a P2 car into the race. Pretty certain that car would have been prepared by Tom Ferrier's TF Sports. Uh, Michael raced with Tom and TF Sports in the Asia Le Mans series. And there's all sorts of politics that was tied up uh, with those entries between the 99 racing entry that uh, featured Nikita Mazapan until he was taken ill and unavailable for the UAE, and whether or not that car uh, might have won an entry, uh, might have won an automatic invitation, might or might not have been accepted on the entry. And I do wonder whether or not this was a last throw of the dice to see whether or not a second car might be sorted uh, in LMP2 from TF Sport. So they're the two big ones for me that are on the... Um, the reserve list. Uh, where do you want to go next with it? Because boy, there are some there's some storylines, there's some questions there. I want to talk about Erwin uh, Bastard uh, on the entry list here, uh, <laughs> and also Ian James, apparently from the USA. Uh, there's, there's some interesting entries here. Why don't we talk? Why don't we start at the top? Uh, only thing we don't have on the hypercar entry list we knew we weren't going to have but it does make me a wee bit sad is yeah. i keep looking on the cars list on that grid and i see cadillacs porsches toyotas love the new like dark groot black livery mm -hmm. by the way that that oh, by the way we'll have to uh, when we get to the toyotas we'll have to tell you about their downgrade this season well it's good they deserve it I don't know why I just said that. Pulled it out of my butt. We have the uh, Isota Dario Franchitti, right? That's yes. great. BMW M Hybrid V8 uh, making its Le Mans debut. Lamborghini SC63 Alpine A424 and the Peugeot 9X8. Which I should be the new car. Which should be the new car in good time for Le Mans. It won't be at Qatar, but the new car should be, we believe, for Imola. I just want to pour out a virtual 40-ounce of beer here for our good friend, uh, Bon Vivant, really just the person who represents the spirit of endurance racing as it was intended in the 50s and 60s and such more than anybody today, Jim Glickenhaus. Looking at all yes. the cars on the entry list, yes. again, we knew that that, we again, this is a story we know, but still, just a little sad to see an entry list after having grown accustomed to yep. uh, crazy Jim, and I say crazy in the best, uh, most affectionate kind Jim, of I've way. Said to, I've said this to Jim's face. He is the best sort of crazy. Yeah. So, again, uh, uh, pouring out a virtual uh, podcast 40 here for Jim and the Glickenhaus. But let's talk about who is there, what is there. There's, like, this is, this is something different, Graham, with the aforementioned 23 cars in yep. hypercar. Never in my in this what century to my yep, recollection absolutely. 
Have we 1999 seen... was the last time we had more cars shooting for the overall win uh, with a class or classes that were effectively deemed to be capable of doing so. That ignores what happened with LMP2 for a couple of years where they grazed and then got onto the podium. Uh, but they, well, the reality is the LMP2 cars were never designed to be uh, podium contestants. The last time we had top-class cars... Uh, above this level was in the glory, glory days of LMGT1 and LMGTP in the, the mid and late 90s when it was somewhere between 27 and 35. And remember, 35 was pretty much two-thirds of the entry at that stage because that was, whether you know the powers that be like to remember it this way or not, that was the point at which BPR, the... Um, then dominant kind of GT championship across the world, uh, which was Jürgen Barth, uh, Patrick Peter, and Stefan Rattel, of course, basically saved the race. Um, you know, the couple of years before then, it had been a pretty sad sight in terms of the numbers and, frankly, some of the quality. But from 95 onwards, it started this trajectory uh, that was just shooting for the sun. Um, but at that stage, these were in very many ways, customer GT1 cars capable of winning. The McLaren F1, of course, uh, predominant amongst them before the factories started to get involved. And we got Porsche and we got BMW and we got Mercedes-Benz and we got Nissan and we got Toyota. And boy, did that meteorite burn out quickly. Uh, but that was where we got to in the late 90s. Since then, uh, we've been as low, I think, as five yeah and fairly recently um, yeah and now here we are at 23 with a prospect of a 24th if a choice is made to do so that that's extraordinary it's it's again we've said it before on this show and i'll say it again it shows that the process of convergence has delivered it is an extraordinary time to be a fan of sports car racing and you know the product we're talking on now the websites that both you and i contribute to the magazines that you contribute to the broadcast that i contribute to are seeing that in real terms with the numbers of people that are turning their heads towards an interest in sports car racing that possibly never have done so before so it, it is now turning to the stage where there's all sorts of storylines coming and one of them my friend sits more than anybody else at your feet, and that is two absolute giants of IndyCar um, at Le Mans this year. Well, I can't argue that at all. Um, if you look at what Scott Dixon has achieved in his career, even his teammate, no longer IndyCar driver, but Sebastian Bourdais as well, and then Chuck in Alex Pillow, who'll be making his yep. Le Mans debut. That is 12 combined IndyCar championships. Astonishing. Uh, Astonishing. Within the Ganassi, the two-car Ganassi Cadillac program there. Um, yeah, that part's just insane. But love to hear your thoughts on points of interest, teams of interest, lineups that intrigue you in this hypercar class and after you're done sharing some of Graham's things that he loves about the hypercar entry list for Le Mans, I want to ask you about what you expect to see in terms of quality of the race, knowing that this year will mark a giant change where LMP2 is no longer asked to shoulder the majority of the prototype entries. Small slice of the pie for hypercar lmp1 whatever the top class has been in recent years giant influx of p2 to put prototypes in we no longer need that but let's get to that after tell me about what stands out to you from this hypercar entry list it's the depth more than anything else it's the depth it's the fact that we had such a good race last year um with the depth that we had there that was 16 cars we've got well effectively almost half as many again uh, this year and more makes more cars more variety more quality amongst the drivers the, the odd the odd potential outlier um and the opportunity for such a depth of quality in the driving talent here this is 
69 drivers will drive in hypercar this season. Uh, it's uh, this year's 24 hours of Le Mans. 69 of them, and the vast majority of those are factory level drivers, or frankly above, including some real legends. You've mentioned three of them, the IndyCar guys. We've got, I think it's, uh, I'll have to double check, it's something like 14 drivers with Formula One experience, including Jensen Button, the bona fide uh, F1 world champion. We've got um, F1 race winners. We've got world champions in WEC. We've got world champions from the GT era of WEC now in hypercars, including last year's winners. We've got privateers depth coming now with four cars that are not factory entered, including the new Ferrari that we've revealed just today. It's going to be um, liveried in a reverse of the factory livery. So the ketchup and mustard car. The ketchup and mustard car, or more mustard than ketchup, I should say. Yeah, it's it's, somebody else uh, earlier said it it looks a bit like the Ronald McDonald car, and I am indeed loving it. So it's great great that we've got all of that. We'll have, by the way, other storylines. We'll have a Pucker BMW art car at Le Mans in the top class for the first time since the Jenny Holzer car of 1999, which, by the way, didn't race. Um, so, yes, we've had GT cars before, but not a car racing for the overall win. So many storylines. It's, you know, honestly, MP, we could do an hour and a half on the top class and we wouldn't, you know, be done in terms of the storylines there. We've got rookies through this field uh, at the moment, but including some rookies with an astonishing uh, heritage, the likes of Raffaele Marciello. We've got um, you know, Marco Whitman, uh, all, of, all of these guys that, you know, that, that the Mon has not been part of their story, but their story has been so deep and so rich, and they're going to be hungry. We've got WRT, a super team by any measure in the top class for the very, uh, very first time. We've got uh, battles between the marks in France with Peugeot and Alpine, in Italy with Lamborghini versus Ferrari, and for that matter, with Sotto Fraschini. Yeah, you know, it's it's mesmerizingly awesome. And you know, beyond that, you then ask me what I think we're going to see with the race. We got a great race at the Mans last year, and every single car has now got a further year of development under its wheels, which should mean they've found pace, and it should certainly mean that they've found more reliability. So by any measure, unless um, the ACO have forgotten how to do balance of performance, we should be actually at a, a stage where the the, uh, the race should be better still. WEC put out this morning um, a collection of clips which they said was you know, 10 of the best passes or the best on-track action in hypercar last year. And it reminded me, because I'm commentating on a number of them, you know, uh, that there were several periods during the Le Mans 24 hours last year when it genuinely was Martin Haven, myself, Jim Roller, and Davidson, Peter Dunbreck, on our feet, you know, and hollering, you know, into the microphone to, to just enjoy what we were seeing. And I'm expecting much, much, much more of that. It is going to be a sellout trackside. I've no doubt this will... If it doesn't break the record of the Centenary Le Mans in terms of a television audience, it's going to come darn close. And by any measure, it should absolutely exceed it. And this is going to be the story of Toyota trying to wrestle back the title they believe should should have been theirs last year, and they believe they should be back in their hands this year, against Ferrari and against all the rest of them who are going to be hungry for that success. It's 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 set up to be, you know, the story of all stories in sports car racing. It's a it's an absolutely exciting event to build. So, a couple little notes here before we move on to P two. We also have Young, one of your countrymen, as he's his name's has been pronounced over here by his former team owner at Hunkos Hollinger racing the IndyCar team, Kalum, Kalum Eilat, Kalum Eilat. Yes. Uh, Great to see him. He's going to be doing something rather fun. This is just drawing back to another IndyCar angle, but look forward to you asking him about this when he lands in Qatar here in a couple days. But David Malukas. 
for his WEC debut. Yes, exactly. He's raced once before. He's not raced outside of Le Mans in the WEC. He's one of, I think, 28 rookies this year. One of uh, IndyCar's young talents, David Malukas, recently okay. injured himself in a cycling accident, some tendon damage in one of his wrists, surgeries, put him out for about six weeks. IndyCar's season opener is two, three weeks away, the week after uh, round one for the WEC. There is a three-day hybrid IndyCar test, starts today, Tuesday, runs through Thursday. Malukas was scheduled to be in the car on Wednesday, uh, unable to do that, obviously, while mending from surgery last week. That would have the Aero McLaren team reaching out to Callum Eilat saying, Hi, uh, you are uh, obviously signed driver to uh, Jota and whatnot, but knowing that we had a lot of interest you in you and in IndyCar before things fell apart with your team and you signed this other deal, could you come stand in for a day? And I would very much expect if things go well, as they should, Graham, during this Wednesday hybrid test at the Homestead Miami Roval, um, I think we might see Callum getting the nod soon after he takes the checkered flag at uh, in Qatar to get on a plane and head to Florida uh, again and potentially stand in for David Malukas at IndyCar Wonderful. round one. Again, Not that part's not confirmed. The fact that he's testing for them tomorrow is. Uh, he's unable to do next week's test. There's a two-day test at Sebring Monday and Tuesday. The logistics and timing of being in the car and dedicated to Jota, obviously, uh, during the prologue through Sunday, then doing a crazy travel to get to Florida and test at Sebring Monday morning, that wouldn't work. But nonetheless, that could be uh, an interesting thing. Just when you see the lad, ask him how things went and uh, if and where that might go for him. Uh, the mm -hmm. other thing, which I'm asking you, and this is just full transparency, you know I'm an idiot. Um <laughs> Short, medium, and long-term listeners of the show know I'm an idiot, but I don't mind exposing even further levels of that. So you reached out a couple weeks ago and said, hey, the Asoto Franchitti Tipo 6-C yeah. has a young driver from Canada named Antonio Saraval who's yeah. signed to drive. I know nothing about him. Could you tell me about him? And I did. I need you to do the same now for yeah. Carl Watana Bennett who oh, yes. okay. is the only name, I'm, I guess, should I be proud or embarrassed to say this, among no, 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 the uh, multitude in hypercar who have never heard of. Uh, okay. And if you were to tell me it's a made-up person, I'd, I'd no. go with you on it. No, well, I've, I've met the young man. Um, he actually was peddling a LMP2 in the Asian Le Mans series this season and peddling it pretty well. Nice. Um, so uh, under the... The guidance of Jean-Carl Vernet, uh, who has got this this wonderful kind of joint responsibility with consultancy roles with Duquesne team, who'll be running these up Freschini. Uh, he was also on the test and development drivers for that car with Michelotto, who've designed and built that car, and will be assisting Duquesne team in running that car. So young Carl Watana Bennett missed out, I'm afraid, for a variety of reasons on uh, meeting up with him for a chat on the record before I left the UAE. Uh, but uh, I can tell you that he's not without pace. Um, he is not the quickest man out there in LMP2, but he's not the slowest either. Uh, and what you should see probably about the same time that this podcast uh, hits the internet is a pretty lengthy interview I did, principally with Jean-Carl Vernet, uh, but also with Gilles de Cain in the room to answer a couple of questions. And two or three things came out of that. It was uh, Jean-Carl's uh, assessment of his two young charges, um, both of whom he says, what well, he said, uh, more or less what you said about Antonio Serrani, which is um, he's not the slowest person in Indy Lights car, not by a long chalk, and they chose a quite challenging way to go about it running the car with their own team against some giants of indie lights uh, and that's always going to kind of uh, blunt your sword if you like uh, when you're trying to kind of show up show out in that kind of field he's got things to prove but his main job is going to be get out there find pace keep it up the keep it up the pits keep it off the wall 
and it's going to be the same for Carl Woods on the Bennett. They're under no doubts they've got something to prove. There is a storyline here, an interesting one, and it is Jean-Carl Vernet. Uh, not a WEC rookie. He did a single season in 2013 in GTM, won at Le Mans in, uh, in an IMSA Matt Mac Porsche, and did a single race from memory in 2012 with the now long-dead luxury racing in a Ferrari. But his story should have started earlier because he, Marshall Pruitt, was one of the drivers who was sitting, waiting in uh, a awning at Sebring International Raceway for his debut in the Peugeot that should have taken part in the 2012 FIWEC with a contract in his pocket as a factory driver for Peugeot, and it's taken him 12 years to get back where he started in a top-class car in the FI World Endurance Championship. He, together with Olivier Pla, together with Marina Franchitti, was part of the squad that should have been uh, Peugeot starting up in the, in the year where the WEC was starting with the 908 Hybrid 4. And he's waited a long time for this opportunity. He tells the tale that he expects that Isotta Fraschini uh, not to be the, I'm trying to find the right word, disappointment that people... Some people out there might think he is convinced that there will be pace in that car. And we're going to see in just a few days' time, because we've got 15 hours of testing at the Sale uh, Raceway in Qatar uh, starting from Saturday. Well, it's no van wall, but uh, sorry, kidding aside. You know, I mean, again, if we're just talking bizarre uh, little notes and whatnot, um, good old jk vernay as he was often yes. referred to over here your 20, well. 2010 yep. indie lights champion yep this is the only pairing i can find so far the entry list for Le Mans, where you're limited to three drivers per mm-hmm. car this is the only one i can find with two x Indy Lights drivers. There you go. And Antonio Saraval and J.K. Verne, one of them being a champ, uh, paired together. Um, so how do you like that? And if we're talking champs, I spot at least two Indy Lights champs in the field uh, and in the same class. So J.K. and Scott Dixon from New Zealand. So, again, none of this means anything, but, hey, little dumb factoids – this should win you some sort of really sad trivia uh, contest at some <laughs> well, point in time. There are, there are champions just galore in that field. I've been doing some background work for my TV commentary uh, gig, and amongst the things I do for TV commentary is I do prepare a fair amount of briefing for the, for the guys and the girls around the world that commentate on the FI World Endurance Championship. And I started uh, one of those rabbit holes about, okay, which driver has done what? So I have written 111 driver profiles, uh, but I've also put together a bit of a stats document. And that stats document is basically listing drivers who have achieved various uh, various championships, big race wins. It's three and a half pages for the FI World Endurance Championship, you know, in 12 point. it's There is so much depth of achievement amongst the the, the drivers we've got across both classes, it's mesmerizing. And almost every single car has got a major storyline attached to it, attached to either a driver, drivers plural, the teams, the cars, you name it. So it's going to be, it's not frankly not going to be a difficult one for us to commentate on this year. The unknown MP for the World Endurance Championship, uh, and we're talking a moment about Le Mans, is just how this is going to race with two classes, not three. And I know. That's not something we've had any um, uh, experience of whatsoever in the last 12 years of WC racing. So that's going to be an interesting one. You were asking about, uh, about the, the LMP2s before we, we went down the... Yeah, uh, I also, also wanted to say, I don't know if you heard the sound of me writing. Um, yes. I just want to thank you, credit you, uh, for my new stripper name, Champions Galore. That's my Champions new stripper galore. name. No, that's that's right. Coming to the stage, <laughs> Champions Galore. And Didn't then you go. see me walk out. And then people yeah. scream, pull the fire alarm, and yes. run. 
but Thumb yeah, uh, forever. That's my new stripper name. Thanks, Grim Goodwin. <laughs> I'm taking that one. Champions galore. Uh, sorry. Well, so, a, so a couple of headlines in the LMP2 class. Number one is Ben Keating's back. Um, and back with United Autosports, one of two cars that they will field, two as well for Cool Racing, and two, uh, albeit with different team names, for Algar Pro Racing, who gave a third back. They won the Asia Le Mans Series, uh, adding that to the Michelin Endurance Cup with CrowdStrike Racing by PR and the European Le Mans Series this year, uh, in the last 12 months, rather, um, and they've given one of those entries back. The, uh, the entry or the automatic invitation to enter for the Asian Le Mans series went back, but they will be there with two cars as well. But again, depth of talent emerging there. There are still drivers to come. Uh, but what I'm delighted to see is, you know, we've got a number of teams and drivers coming from the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. And, you know, whilst some of them might be more traditionally associated with uh, European competition, so the second United car into Europol competition. Uh, it's it's Kubert Schmoski who's in the car, and he is not racing in Europe this year. It might well be the only race he races in Europe is the Le Mans 24 Hours. His primary uh, program this year is in IMSA. So those cars there, as well as the four uh, hypercars. There's some good stuff coming here, and LMP2 may not be quite as deep as we've had for. Uh, in previous years, but most of the cars are in the in the pro class. Uh, I think it's ten in pro and six in LMP2 pro am, the class for uh, cars with a nominated bronze driver. Um, so we've got again there, you know, the potential for two other class battles, not that far behind the hypercar battles, before we even start to talk about the depth of competition that's going to be coming in MGT3. Another observation I might mention, Graham, before we move on and close on exactly that, LMGT3. Cool thing for me, at least, is looking at Hypercar in mm -hmm. some of the new entrants there uh, and knowing that it's a WRT, Proton, um, I mean, AF Course is maybe the prime example, but Iron Lynx as well. Yep. So many of them started life as GT teams yep. during the somewhat fallow years in LMP1 hybrid or similar. Uh, even last year, not quite ready to step up to hypercar due to lack of opportunity, right? Got into LMP2. And, yep. and again, not every team that I mentioned, but by and large, uh, most of them. And you look at the fact that here are prime examples of, do you have to be a Audi sport team Yoast kind of thing where you go, oh my gosh, these people are just the titans of prototype racing. You could never take them on. Uh, you'd have to spend decades working your way up out of GT into formative prototypes and so on. no in a relatively short amount of time. Some phenomenal GT teams have either kind of sort of leapt straight to hypercar or spent a couple of years competing at the highest level in the WEC and at Le Mans in LMP2 in a brief period, mastered uh, prototype racing and have since either been entrusted with running a factory hypercar program or been allowed to purchase a privateer car, but we again expect those to run competitive, competitively as well. That to me is one of the beauties uh, oh, yeah. of what I'm looking at here. I'm looking at this entry list and just realizing that name some of the teams we see in P2 right now or LMGT3, which have never been in the top class, and you realize, give them a couple years. And oh, that's yeah. all it could take. That's all it might take. And they could be running big deals at the very top. It's a really cool I mean, look, pipeline. Look at the look at the likes of TF Sport. You can see they're they're already into LMP two. Perfect. They absolutely would like to go there. Uh Jerome Polycon's ASP, Autosport Promotion, are looking after the uh, Lexus effort in LMGT3, perfectly capable of running a prototype program uh, with the opportunity to do so. But it does open the other question here which is you are absolutely spot on that that ladder has served Le Mans, 
and the FI World Endurance Championship, and for that matter, the Umsa Weather Tech Sports Car Championship, so, so well. But there's now a challenge about what do you do with the next step. With LMP2, we have new cars coming in two years' time. With LMP3, we have new cars coming at the end of this year. And you need to have the opportunity for those teams to flourish and to progress. And that, by the way, you mentioned at the start of talking about LMP2 that the numbers are down from where we saw them, and that's not necessarily an absolutely bad thing for everybody, but it is a sort of a number trap at this stage. The opportunities for LMP2 are going to be defined by the number of cars available for the top class. That's a tricky set of equations to run if you're the team being asked to invest in one, two, three new LMP2 chassis all at one go, if at the end of the rainbow there's fewer opportunities to get to Le Mans with that car or those cars. That, that I think, is at the moment the biggest, deepest intellectual challenge for the ACO and for LMEM and, for, and to a lesser extent for IMSA as well is how do you manage those transitions what do you do to help those teams to manage those transitions? Now, I am aware of some of those answers, and we'll be bringing you some of those answers in the coming days. Why don't we close off here, brother, looking at any of the details in LMGT3 that you particularly enjoy? And should I just go ahead and, and say the obvious thing, which I think you've already mentioned in print? Uh, hey, how's this? The congratulations on your retirement Johnny Mollum Award. It looks like it's going to be going to Christian Reed, uh, at least, uh, team principal of Proton, who congratulations on your retirement convinced. and I'm your name. Convinced. Yeah, and your I name, think, Driver think, 1, listed yeah. P1 on your Ford Mustang LMGT3 entry. So anyways, uh, yes. <laughs> so let's, let's start with it. It's 23 cars in that class, of which 18 have come from the uh, FI World Insurance Championship. So it's it's nine uh, makes and two cars per make for the WEC. Adding to that, two cars with an automatic invitation to enter are accepted on the list. Um, one of them is indeed the uh, the proto competition for Mustang. I don't believe Christian will be racing, is the straight answer. Um, and that begs the question... Where exactly uh, are the drivers? Is that a commercial car for Proton? Is that a car that Ford Performance might have uh, an angle in uh, skilling up? What What is that car going to be? That's an interesting one. Just as interesting, by the way, is that the three cars that were accepted by the selection committee are all Ferraris. Uh, so it is... JMW Motorsport, Jim McWhorter will be utterly delighted that this first year with his brand new uh, Ferrari 296, it continues the story that started with the Ferrari 430, came through 458, and then the old lady 488 that's now just retired, and he will continue on into the LMGT3 era. And I'm delighted for him, he deserves it. He's been a loyal servant to ACO Rules Racing and to the Le Mans 24 Amazing, and like truly an amazing entrant. Every, at least Le Mans, been one of my favorites for a long time yeah uh, i I've missed missed one year in about I, i'd have to go back and check it's 15 something ridiculous like that and by the way the 488 that's just retired with seven participations at the mon i believe i'm right is the car and is the same car uh, that started in 2017 and won the race Seven participations at Le Mans, I believe to be an all-time record for a single car. I'm also so, remembering fondly uh, tire streak Dunlop livery, uh, I yes. believe, as well. And also credit to them for going uh, just truly a brave decision to enter a three-wheeled Ferrari for the race. Or at least that's what it was <laughs> when Rob Bell was driving the freaking thing because it always had a left front or a right front tire about nine feet up in the air. Like, just one of my favorite things to watch. Like, I, I remember seeing him after whatever stint, and it was just like, okay, you're completely ridiculous. You're also yeah, yeah, my favorite thing to watch. 
he's he's he, astonishing driver and always fun to watch. Uh, GR Racing and Mike Wainwright's team, there was no space for them this year in the FI World Jones Championship. They were a part of the Asia Le Mans series until an accident took out their car. Um, and they've got their brand new 296 uh, on, on the line um, for the European Le Mans series as well this season. They've been shown loyalty by the ACO and are rewarded with a place on the Le Mans uh, 24 hours grid as is Duncan Cameron and his 155 uh, Ferrari can't have 55 because that's already taken by a WC car so Duncan Cameron who uh, was poised to break 50 consecutive uh, European Le Mans series appearances but unfortunately the day before his 50th uh, appearance was called back for a family emergency so he sat in the 49 but uh, he'll be there together with his loyal sidekick, uh, Matt Griffin and David Perel mm. uh, from South Africa. So it is a, a deep um, grid for uh, the LMGT3 side of things. Can I tell it you is, my favorite uh, entry? Go my, for it. My favorite entry, Inception Racing. Oh, Inception from Racing. IMSA. Yes, That's just deep. like I'm telling you hearty hearty privateer team oh, yeah. in mavericks over here and representing mclaren in imsa's gtd class the amateur not the pro level they are so good the driver lineup ah oh, just phenomenal one of those kind of deep deep cuts uh on the album where you're like okay inception racing is not the one that's going to go number one on the charts that everyone's going to know about and love and whatever but if you love your gt racing and you know imsa and its gtd class oh you love the inception team they had a brutal rolex 24 but uh seeing them on the list oh boy that that just made me so happy that is, of course, it's an auto invite through Success at IMSA for Brendan Arib and Co. Um, by the way, there will be a, a, an in-depth story on that effort in a very different way in the next few days. Sat down with a couple of people um, again in Asia from the Optimum Motorsport team that look after Inception Racing. Uh, one of two uh, teams that are going to be on that grid from Wakefield in West Yorkshire. The other one, of course, is United Autosports. Um, and talking about what they're doing to return the car uh, that raced at the Rolex with the help of Virgin Atlantic. And there's a story there as well about just exactly how that was done to come home here to the UK and to have that car prepared as their LM GT3 car, because it is not the work of a moment. So there will be uh, another chassis making its way to the United States to service um, the Inception Racing car for the remainder of the Imsa Sports Car Championship. So if you want to know what the difference is between um, a GT3 and an LMGT3 McLaren, just keep an eye on Delhi Sports Car, and I'll bring you that uh, before we get uh, uh, action underway in Qatar. A little bit of work to do on that story before we do that uh, this weekend. So all sorts. What it means then, MP, is it is nine times two per make, it's nine different makes of GT3 car with an extra McLaren, with an extra Mustang, uh, and with three extra Ferraris to complete the field. It means, too, that I'm trying to think exactly when the, the year was. For the first time in decades, we only have two GT Porsches in the field. First time in, in years, yeah, I think it might be something like maybe 2002 something like that um it's it, it's you know it's pretty extraordinary really um and that by the way is because proton competition had taking up their entry from the european le mans series uh because they got that for winning the title there have opted not to take one of the porsches they're actually going to be fielding in the lms but a third mustang mm. also maybe to close here graham some cool new things that'll be happening. Obviously, BMW, not a stranger to Le Mans. It's M4 model. This will yep. be a first. Ford Mustang. 
Same as well. And granted, I might be forgetting my history. And in 1967, uh, someone entered a something or other, but at uh, least. Celine Mustang. Celine Mustang in the 90s. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, thinking about the McLaren, obviously, 720S, first time there. Uh, first, first, first McLaren entry at Le Mans since I think 1998. Yeah. Been a long time. Huracan as well. The Lambo. Um, that's pretty cool. I'm stoked to see Lexus, right? Lexus at Le Mans. How cool is that? Um, The the whole thing, honestly, MP, there are so many storylines. Like I say, almost every team and in every class, and frankly, we could sit here all night and talk through both the Le Mans entry list and the WEC entry list. We'll have time to do that throughout this season without a shadow of a doubt. So many storylines. It really is after a stellar um, meeting for the Rolex 24 Hours at Daytona and IMSA getting the ball rolling um, to start now the journey with the Global World Championship and get excited about that and already get excited about what I think is going to be another Le Mans 24 hours for the ages. And by the way, that's before we get Aston Martin in 2025. Uh, and you know, a car that's coming not just to WEC, but also to IMSA. So, so many storylines, so much good stuff still to come. And you can hear all of it. We'll be talking it through whether or not it's a flappy gums episode or whether it's one that's going to be fueled by, uh, our listeners' questions, but for now, MP, I think it's time to get, say good night. It's time to say thank you to our sponsors with Fast Technologies, with the Justice Brothers, and with TorontoMotorsports.com. Uh, thanks to you, mate, for making the time this evening to do this. I'm off to record some highlights of the Asian Le Mans series into these wee small hours tonight. Um, stick with us for next week's edition of the Weekend Sports Cars, which will be coming from my end. Um, over in Qatar and hopefully we can get some additional podcast content from the paddock there Uh, this has been the week in sports cars I have been Graham Goodwin I'm champions galore he's champions galore (laughs) aka Marshall Pruitt this has been the week in sports cars part of the Marshall Pruitt podcast and we and he she they will be with us next week I'm so happy it's the stupidest thing but it makes me so happy (laughs) Just call me Champions Glory, man. That's all I need. And like, I don't know if I'm going to make it to Lamar this year. I hope I will. But like, the first listener at Lamar who like screams Champions Galore uh, across uh, from you know whatever the stands across from pit lane on whatever. Like, I'm just going to give you everything in my pockets, like all the stickers, all the money, everything, because like, <laughs> just the love has to be expressed. All right, I'm going to stop recording now. <laughs>